Ghoulish Tendencies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim. And we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida Ghosts, Legends and Lore, with a healthy dose of debunking. Debunking, indeed. Debunk. <laughs> bunk, 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 bunk. Uh... Well, and this is actually our, our second part of a two-part episode. Yes, the Black Dahlia. The Black Dahlia. Last episode, we talked about the brutal murder of 22-year-old Elizabeth Short, whose body was left bisected and dumped in a lot on January 15th of 1947. So if you haven't listened to part one... Pause. Stop. Pause. Rewind. Stop. <laughs> go listen to it. Uh, we go over all the details of the murder and a little bit about Elizabeth Short and her life and what we knew about her. And honestly, none of this is going to make any sense to you if you have not listened to that. So we'll wait. Go do it now. <laughs> That's your We're cue. Waiting. We're waiting on you. All right, you can go now. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Uh, before we get started, I do want to mention that about uh, 35 or so minutes in, and, and we will put a timestamp so that we can be a little more exact once we've edited this episode and know for sure. We are talking about a case, uh, a trial that happened with an underage girl who accused somebody of, of sexual assault and the aftermath. And we are aware this can be a really sensitive issue and it, it might be triggering for some people. So we want to make sure if this is something that you're going to find really upsetting, that you are able to bypass this part of the conversation. So today we're going to be focusing a little bit on the, the suspects and theories as well as a wee bit of ghosts. Wee bit? Just a wee bit. So this case is still officially unsolved. Right. The initial investigation had about 150 suspects. Woof. No arrests ever made. That's so weird to me. I mean, they lacked evidence. Evidence. Uh, well, through the years, I will say, through the years, there have been a number of suspects that have stayed at the top of the list. A number of major ones. Ones that people are 100% sure are the actual killer. Huh. I will say <laughs> something that became real apparent when I was digging into this side of things. Man, people take their theories seriously. Would you say it's very theorious? Oh my God, Gabby. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't. Uh, no, I can't say that <laughs> because I have too much self-respect, but you can say it all you want. <laughs> Done. Um, no, it's, it's some of the articles I would read were definitive. Like the case has been solved. Uh, I want to stress the case is unsolved and barring any smoking gun evidence, evidence, evidence. Uh, it'll, it'll remain unsolved. Like a lot of really famous cold cases. It's really hard when you're looking at something, you know, 80 years later, it is really, really hard to to uh, uh, find anything brand spanking new. Yeah, that's true. And I will say that each of the major suspects in this case we're going to be talking about easily could have been an entire episode. Uh, we don't have time for that, though. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time. Ain't nobody got time. Uh, and if you're interested in digging deeper, again, this is a very famous case. There's a lot of things involved. There's a lot of books. 
TV specials, uh, podcasts. In fact, there's like entire podcasts devoted to the Black Dahlia. So if this is something you're like, I need more, the information is out there. Go nuts. Happy digging. Now, some of the claims are pretty ludicrous. There was a woman named Janice Knowlton. She believed her father, George Knowlton, was the killer. Not only that, she says she saw it happen and repressed the memories. Um, Wait, she believed, what? Yeah. No, this is bonkers. It's She believed her father was having an affair with Elizabeth and that she, Elizabeth, was staying there. And she even wrote a book that's called Daddy Was the Black Dahlia Killer. Wow. However, this is a theory that has been not looked at seriously by pretty much anyone. And after Knowlton died, her own stepsister spoke out against her and said, her book was trash and it wasn't even true. She (gasps) believed it. She believed it. But it wasn't reality. I know because I lived with her father for 16 years. Dang. And it does sound by all accounts that this is a woman who who had some challenges. and, And But she very thoroughly believed everything she was saying was true. All right. But the evidence does not line up evidence. to match, yes, anything that she claims. So we're going to push that theory to the side. Goodbye theory. Now, when the Cleveland torso murders took place in the 1930s, and you guessed it, Cleveland, shocker, spoiler alert, <laughs> uh, I actually covered that case for a tea and true crime. It's yeah. it's pretty awful. Like it's it's, it's fascinating. Brutal. It's brutal. Uh a number of victims. There was there was between 12 to 20 victims, male and female, and they were found in the Cleveland area, mostly cut into pieces. So when Elizabeth Short's body was found, another theory was that maybe this is the same killer. Hmm. Now I'm sorry, this to me is a big stretch. Because beyond the fact that you had two cases involving brutal murders, that's kind of where the connection ends. Sure. Like, the torso murders MO didn't really match how her body was found. Uh, if for no other reason than the, the torso bodies, like, the murders were were hidden. The bodies yeah. were cut up. They were hidden so they wouldn't be seen and disposed of to not be easily identifiable. In fact, some of the victims we still haven't identified... Whereas Elizabeth Short was meant to be found, it was displayed, and she was easily identifiable. So, again, I don't think there is much to this theory, and we're going to move beyond it. All right. Ralph Asdell, who was the the last living detective on this case, who was initially assigned to this case, he had a suspect. He said that there was a man who was seen near the lot with a black car. And he tracked this man down, and the man had recently repainted his car. That's interesting. He was convinced this man was the killer. Like, he had this gut feeling this guy was the killer. But because we cannot make arrests, thank God, on a gut feeling, and there was no actual evidence, he never revealed the name of the person, and no investigation ever took place into this guy. Well, there that goes. Yeah. So that's another one we're going to push to the side. Goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, This is maybe my favorite one. A childhood friend of Short's, she wrote a book that said she thought Orson Welles did it. What? Yeah. Orson Welles. (laughs) Why? For a second. Uh, Honestly, she goes into a whole thing about how they would have met each other through Hollywood. And the book's available. You can find the book. You can read the book. But... Again, this to me is 
I don't want to say ridiculous, but it's ridiculous. I don't and, want to, but I will. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to push this theory also to the side. Goodbye theory. The first suspect we're going to really look into is one that um, Pew Eatwell, who was the author of Black Dahlia wow. Rose Red. That name. I don't know Sorry. if I'm saying that name right. I, it might be. It's P-I-U. Eatwell? Oh, that was not where my, my mind is mostly. I'm, I'm afraid I'm mispronouncing her first name. So I just think Eatwell is a funny last name. <laughs> It's it's definitely up there as a cool name. Like you know, make can you imagine growing up though? How often she had to heard, make sure you eat well. <laughs> like that's that's awful. I would have been that person doing that to her. So and <laughs> Kim's favorite names are also Gabby's favorite names. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Oh, she was the author of Black Dolly Rose Red. Oh and, yes. Uh, Yes, which I, I talked a little bit about in our in our first episode. Yeah. Uh, it's a great book. It's really interesting. But she has her own very specific theory about who she thinks did it. So the murder happened at the beginning of 1947, right? It was January 15th of 1947. But within months, the case had gone pretty cold. Leads had dried up. No new evidence. 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 Was being found. But in late 1948, Dr. Joseph Paul DeRiver, a psychiatrist who was working with the LAPD, he received a letter from a man who said his name was Jack Sands, and he was living in Florida. Hmm. Now, Sands claimed he believed he knew who the killer was, that he had met the killer that previous March. Intrigued, Dr. DeRiver responded, saying, yes, please, tell me more. So on November 27th, he got a response from Sands saying that he had spent six weeks with a man named Jeff Connors. Sands thought that Elizabeth Short had been killed because she'd threatened to reveal an affair not considered proper by the average person. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. What does that even mean? I mean, to me, I can't tell if that's supposed to mean, like, somebody was married and they were having an affair or if they mean, like, butt sex. I was going to say, there's a very wide spectrum. <laughs> like, because, I mean, not to, like, not to diss butt sex at all. I just, uh, <laughs> how did we get here, Kim? Well, because that's, I mean, there's people, you know, in the 1940s, that was a thing. Like, that's, oh, it's not seemly. I don't know. That's where my mind went. I, I'm really enjoying your thought process. It really my thought process on it butt sex. tickles me. Do you like I, that I keep calling it butt sex? Yes, that's why I'm so tickled. Butts. It's actually when I when I when I'm blocking. This is. <laughs> uh, no, because I I you know I I direct children's shows and mm -hmm. sometimes the children don't remember to face the audience and we call that cheating out. And yet, the term cheating out is one that is kind of foreign to them. What I found to be remarkably effective is to just bellow, butts, from the back of the theater when butts. they turn their bums to the audience. And man, you know how quickly those children not only turn around, but check to make sure they're not the ones doing it. <gasps> it's amazing. I thought you were going to say check to make sure they still have butts. Oh, they do that too. I've seen a few grab them like, oh, nope, they're still there. Good. Anyway. <laughs> Glad to give people that peace of mind. Y'all are y'all are welcome. <laughs> butts. Hashtag butts. Hashtag butts. Has nothing to do with this topic, but it'll really confuse a bunch of people it'll on social media. It'll confuse so many people, and I'm I'm here for it. Honestly, I'm 100 here for it. Uh, now, at this point, Doctor DeRiver became convinced that Jack Sands is probably not the guy's real name. 
But he also believes that Jeff Connors is not a real person. Oh. Yeah, he thinks that Jeff Connors is a figment of of Sans imagination. Ooh. So, uh, well, and, and Jack showed a strong leaning towards sexual sadism. Oh. What really got the police's attention, though, is he's throwing out some details that the police had not publicly released about the case. Oh, that's interesting. Like how the police suspected Short had been murdered in a hotel room. So they do some digging. They find out that Jack Sands was none other than a man named Leslie Dwayne Dillon. That's a good name. It's a great name. The double D's, you know? Not only that, Dylan may be the murderer himself. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Who is Leslie Dylan? A former bellhop and more interestingly, a former mortician's assistant. Well, that would explain the cut in the spine. That could explain a lot of things about how her body was treated. Mm-hmm. So in December of 1948, Leslie Dillon agreed to meet up with Dr. DeRiver in Las Vegas. An undercover detective posed as Dr. DeRiver's driver. Oh. So they, yeah. So they meet up with Dillon. They drive down to California. And, you know, Dr. DeRiver's engaging Dillon in conversation, kind of trying to see if he can get anything out of him. They get two rooms and they bug one of the rooms because DeRiver is convinced I can get a confession. Out of Leslie Dwayne Dillon. That's pretty ballsy. Now, again, Dillon does seem to know a number of details about the murder. But he's also not fully being detained of his free will. That's true. They're keeping him in this room illegally. And he drops a postcard out the window, which is found by somebody. And the postcard was basically like, help, help, I'm being held on stitch. Oh, my God. Yeah, so they, they had to let him go. Uh, it was found by somebody that was walking by. And, and, and the other nail in the coffin to me was that they found out that Jeff Connors was another facet of Leslie Dwayne Dillon's personality. No, it turns out he was actually a real person. Oh, my gosh, really? <laughs> yeah, not a figment of Dillon's imagination. His real name was Artie Lane. He was employed with Columbia Studios, which was a spot that Elizabeth uh, Short hung out. Yeah. So there could have been, again, a connection there. So Pew maintains that Dylan killed Short at the Astor Motel where he was staying and that he did so at the demand of his employer, wait for it, Mark Hansen. Mark Hansen. Now this name might be ringing a bell with some of you. It should. I told you all to press save on this name in part one. But for those of you who can't remember. I don't remember. Mark Hansen was the man whose name was on the address book Elizabeth Short was using and was sent to the newspapers. The man who'd had some sort of obsession with her, by all accounts. Huh. That is fishy. That is fishy. And even more interesting, the owners of the Astor Motel, where Dylan was staying and where he allegedly killed Elizabeth Short, Henry and Clara Hoffman, they were the owners of the hotel. They reported on January 15th of 1947, that is the day that Elizabeth Short's body was found. One of their rooms was covered in blood and fecal matter. (gasps) And why did that not get reported? 
They had some domestic abuse concerns, and they did not want the cops sniffing around. Oh, my God. So they didn't say anything until they were pressed for it later. And, I mean, in all fairness, in all fairness, uh, finding physical evidence that they could have processed in 1947... Maybe they were, oh, fingerprints, I suppose. They could have found fingerprints. But, like, like today, that's a smoking gun. In 1947, right. finding a room covered in blood and fecal matter, that might be someone's real good Saturday night. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Butt sex. Butts. Butts. <laughs> Bringing it back. Bringing it back to butts, as always. No, I mean, I don't I, I don't disagree with you. I think it's awful they didn't call the cops. Because yeah. I think right away they that a connection would have been made to um Elizabeth Short, if for no other reason, then that's a pretty heinous thing. Right. And it's it's it is sad to think that there could have been potential evidence in that room that evidence. got lost forever. Also, you said heinous, which sounds like butts. <laughs> this is that's the theme of the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, you're welcome. Butts. But it is, re- I will say, it is really satisfying to say butts. After you said heinous. Heinous butts. <laughs> New band name, called it. <laughs> Are we like 14-year-old boys? Truly, I think that's what happens when we get tired. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I thought that was apparent from having met me. Um, so this anyway. That's why we were. <laughs> Focus fairy. Uh, Dylan would say that Elizabeth found out about a scheme he was a part of with Mark Hansen. Mm -hmm. And others were involved in this too. And it was a hotel robbing crime ring. Oh. So the way it worked is one of the men would get a job as a bellboy. Uh-huh. Which Leslie Dwayne Dillon had been. Uh-huh. They'd find out where the valuables were kept, where the safes were, where, where cash and jewelry and whatever was stored. And then the bellboy would quit. And shortly after that, they'd come back and rob the hotel. So the theory is, is that Elizabeth found out and she had to be silenced. That's a really aggressive way to silence somebody. Well, and that's where I kind of come back to with Mark Hansen and his obsession. I wonder, like, if we're going with this theory, if Mark Hansen is supposedly the one that ordered the hit done... If some of it was wrapped up in his feelings for her too, oh, that for she sure. rejected him, and so he wanted her dead, partially because she knew too much, and she maybe she was threatening to tell people, maybe she was blackmailing them, and this was a, and he was angry at her too. Now again, all of this is one hundred percent speculation, right? That being said, Mark Hansen had connections with the police. So there was an effort to cover everything up so he wasn't implicated. Her shoe and purse was also found about two blocks from where Dylan lived, and the park she was found in was an area he used to use as a shortcut. However, I will say it seems like all of the suspects we're looking at in any seriousness had some kind of uh, relationship to the physical location, so... Again, I I can't look at that as as any kind of super compelling evidence. Sure. And ultimately, Dylan was released for lack of evidence, and he would sue the LAPD for how he was treated, you know, illegally detaining somebody. That is very fair. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he moved back to Oklahoma, and he was a popular suspect for many, including, again, um, Pew Eat Well. 
but nothing ever came of it, and and the rest of his life seemed to have been lived fairly I, clean. I guess is the only way I can think of to say it. There was no other altercations with the law. Interesting. So that's one suspect. Okay. The next suspect. And this is a suspect at the top of many people's lists. Ooh, I can't wait to hear. Dr. George Hodel. Oh, I've heard that name. Yeah, he's a popular one. In fact, to some people, the case is solved and Hodel did it. Full stop. At the time of Short's death, George Hodel was working as a gynecologist. He was not a practicing surgeon, but he had trained to be one. He was very charming. He was very intelligent. He ran a VD clinic and was living quite comfortably. Uh, I want to make one thing clear as I continue talking about Hodel. Depending on which side of the story you land on, the way the evidence is presented is extremely different. Really? Yeah, and again, it, it makes... It's one of the reasons, you know, I've had people ask me specifically to do Jack the Ripper and I will not cover Jack the Ripper. I don't know that I will ever cover. We'd have to have a patron on Patreon offer up a whole lot of money for a while before I'd be willing to cover Jack the Ripper. And here's why. The case is too old. There's too many theories and too many people who twist the information in the manner of which they think suits their narrative. And when you're dealing with cases this old, it gets harder and harder to figure out the unbiased evidence. Mm -hmm. So I struggled a little with the Hodel evidence, partially because, again, depending on which side you were on, finding an unbiased account of it was real challenging. Steve Hodel, George Hodel's son, he is the man mostly responsible for re-examining Hodel as a suspect. He is a retired police detective. Dissecting a crime scene is something he would have done in the past, so that, that's a you know point in his favor. After his father died, he was sorting through his belongings. He came across a photo album. In the back of the album, he found two photos of a young woman with dark hair, and he had this thought... This woman resembles Elizabeth Short. Hmm. Which led Steve down a rabbit hole. Because he became convinced these were photos of Elizabeth Short. And I will say that that has since been disproven. These are not two photos of Elizabeth Short, although you will still see it reported as such. Uh, Elizabeth Short's niece is on record saying, if we thought for a minute any of it would help solve the case. We would do anything we could, but we believe it, meaning Hodel and his, his theory, is just another case of someone trying to profit from the story. Betty mm. was my mother's sister. I have not read the book, but both my mother and I have looked at the two photos that he claims are of Betty. They are not Betty, not even close. So I her mean, family have looked at these photos and said, nope, and I've looked at the photos. I, it's a pretty girl. It's a pretty girl with dark hair. Which, I mean... There's a lot of pretty girls with dark hair in the 1940s. With dark hair, and they all kind of look the same because it was a style. like it's Similar styling and, and black and white photography. Yeah. Uh, but I will say, when I first looked at these pictures, before I had read any of the account from her family, I was like, I mean, sure, but also, uh, no. 
That seems a stretch to me. Uh, he had the handwriting. He had a handwriting analyst look at the notes that were sent to the police. And the analyst he hired said they matched. However, again, this is another fact where things are not fully what they seem. Because handwriting analysis, first of all, is extremely subjective. NBC journalist Josh Mankovich said on a podcast about the Black Dahlia murder, the handwriting evidence is, you know, inconclusive. Mm-hmm. Hodel's handwriting analyst says it's, quote, highly probable, which is not the highest degree of certainty. Anyway, handwriting analysis is always open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. We hired our own handwriting analyst, which was not as conclusive. I mean, I wouldn't count that as evidence then because that doesn't sound like it's conclusive. It's subjective. Right. And it's 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 where anytime you hear someone say, well, a handwriting and analyst looked at something it's like cool sure but again highly highly subjective it's like blood spatter analysis oh i think that's so interesting i love blood spatter analysis it's fascinating but much like handwriting analysis it's not a it's not like mathematics it's not like something where there is absolute truth do you know yeah and and you do the best you can but it's it's not something that, that can be looked at as an absolute. Yeah. None of this deterred Steve Hodell, who was convinced that the evidence, evidence. supported his claims. P.S. If anyone is playing the ghoulish tendencies drinking game where you take a shot every time we say evidence, I'm sorry, by tonight you will die. <laughs> You'll be a ghost. You'll be a ghost. Ooh. And then you can come whisper evidence in our ears. Man, if I ever catch an EVP of a ghost saying evidence, I will pee my pants. I'll lose my mind. It's just like an Inception EVP. Yeah. I will actually pee my pants. Can't wait. Yeah. Something to look forward to. <laughs> now, his father was friends with surrealist photographer Man Ray. Are you familiar with Man Ray? I've heard that name before. Yeah. His work's fascinating. If you've never looked up photos of his art, it's really, really interesting. Um, Steve Hodel argues that the piece Minotaur and Les Amoureux were inspirations for Dahlia's body's placement. Oh, interesting. Which, okay, I don't know. See, okay, I, I looked at the pictures, and honestly... I don't think my mind would have gone there if I didn't already have the idea in my head. That's fair. But I feel like that's kind of far-reaching. Like, you could compare that to a lot of things. Exactly. There. I mean, and again, you can see the similarities, but I'm like, am I seeing the similarities because they exist or because it is now in my head to see these similarities? Right. George Hodel's secretary, she died in 1945, and Steve Hodel is convinced his father killed her as well. Oh, really? However, an article on her death in the Evening Herald Express on May 10th of 1945 states that Ruth Spaulding, 25, died last night in Georgia Street Receiving Hospital from an overdose of sleeping tablets, police said. Now, I will say as a quick correction, uh, her death certificate shows she was 27, not 25. It's a little thing, but you know. Details. Details. Steve Hodel repeatedly says in his books and his blogs his father made it look like a suicide and that he was investigated for her death. Huh. 
However, I have not found anything outside of Steve Hodel saying that to back that claim up. Well, isn't that interesting? Again, if someone can point me in a direction where there is evidence to back that up, I will happily retract my scullyism of that specific moment. Otherwise, Scully's got a Scully. Scully's got a Scully. Well, it's interesting, too, because George Hodel, I know where I know that name from, is that American Horror Story. I mean, we talk about this in a lot of our episodes because so much of what we talk about pops up somewhere in American Mm -hmm, Horror Story at mm -hmm. some point in time. And the first season of the the Haunted House season, that's like, I think, in my mind, one of the best seasons. It was a fantastic season. It was so good. Um, Because I'm a little, I I go back and forth on some of the seasons, but the the first two, no, first three, I watch religiously and I fell a little out after that. But yeah, yeah, the first season was spectacular. Chef's Kiss. Um, Mm -hmm. George Hodel is the character in it that kills the Black Dahlia character Mm -hmm. in the show. And like, as we know, there's always things that are written into it that are, fictional um but they're stemmed from non-fictional people and situations and that's a perfect example of whatever is happening in pop culture dictating what people think as the killer or who the killer is even if there isn't evidence mm-hmm. evidence to support it. <laughs> somebody just died. Gabby, yep. you said that, and somebody just took a shot and they died. Whisper evidence in my ear as a ghost, please. Can that be the Halloween challenge? Can can listeners send in them oh, whispering evidence? Oh, creating a TikTok of it or something. Although this that. is coming out after Halloween, so I don't know if that's going to be. <laughs> Bitches! <laughs> this is the downside. It's, I feel like, I mean, my, my references in Creepy Critics Corner are going to tell people we recorded this one way in advance because of, okay. of schedules and weddings. Um, which, huzzah to the weddings. Huzzah! Huzzah. But uh, that's a bummer. Well, send it anyway. It's fine. Send it anyway. We're spooky year round. We're spooky year round. I actually, I'm, I'm that person who side eyes all these people who, who text me in October, being like, "Let's do something spooky." You're my spooky friend. I'm like, I'm spooky twenty four seven. Or it's spooky season. It's, it's spooky season year round, bitches. It's my life. It's my life, my friends. Anyway, anyway, digress. We digress. Uh, Steve Hodel states that Elizabeth started seeing his father as a patient. And that they became romantically involved. Ooh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Which is possible. Again, I'd love some evidence. Evidence. To back <laughs> these claims up. Like actual evidence. Honest to God evidence. evidence. I feel like I'm not asking for much. I'm not, I, I, I am not as skeptical as people think I am. I just want something to be able to back up a claim. That's fair. I don't ask for much, just a little evidence. Evidence. Steve believes his father murdered Jean French, too, the 41-year-old nurse who was murdered shortly after Elizabeth Short. We spoke Mm -hmm. about again on the last episode. Uh, And he'd be a little vindicated when he found out some new, or I guess I should say some old information. Mm. Because in 1950, George Hodel was not only on the suspect list, he was top of the suspect list. Oh, dang. He came on the police's radar for his medical training, but also because in 1949, he went on trial for molesting his then 14-year-old daughter, Tamar. Oh, oh no. Yeah. And to that I will say, in general, I 100% lean on the side of believe victims. 
Yep. Absolutely. If they say they were abused or assaulted, absolutely believe victims. Mm-hmm. I believe that it is possible everything Tamar said about her father and what he did was 100% true. However, he was acquitted. Of course he was. Her mother testified that she had made similar false claims before. Her mother also testified that a psychologist had examined her a few years prior and that, quote, the child was given to the telling of fantastic tales which had little or no basis in fact. One of the witnesses would also recant her testimony. Oh, why? I mean, there's so many reasons why somebody would recant their testimony. Being intimidated, being threatened, like... uh, At the end of the day... George Hodel was found not guilty. It does not mean he did not abuse his daughter. But as a matter of public record, he was found not guilty. He's on police's radar. They are looking at possible perpetrators of sexual violence as suspects. And he checks a lot of the boxes. Possible sex fiend, doctor, lived not too far from where the body was discovered. So police start keeping him under surveillance. They actually bugged his home for about a month. Most of it's pretty dull. I read through the transcripts. Most of it's uh, fairly, you know, him talking about random things. And, but there was a couple interesting exchanges. On February 18th of 1950, there was the following exchange. He was talking to a man on the phone, and he said, Suppose and I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. What? The next officer arrives on the scene to listen to the next call because they're they're actively listening to the bug. And see, that's the other thing. They're not recordings. It's the officers writing what they're hearing. And I feel like that's important. Yeah. Because this is not an exact transcription. It's what the officers are listening to. It's basically like a telephone game but written down. Yeah, and sometimes it's really general. It's like, hey, he's talking about this. And other times they're trying to quote more exact, but it is still somebody who is writing down what they heard and not being able to go back and re-listen to it. That's fair. So the next officer, he comes in. He missed the first part of this conversation. He notes that uh, Hodel was talking to a man on the phone, and Hodel says... Realize there was nothing I could do. Put a pillow over her head and cover her with a blanket. Get a taxi. Call Georgia Street Receiving Hospital right away. Expired 1239. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary. They must have enough on him to be guilty or he wouldn't have confessed. Hmm. Now again, this is one side of the conversation. It does seem to be in reference to his secretary, Ruth's death. Steve Hodell takes this as a full-on confession that he killed her. Personally, I didn't read it that way. No. Honestly, the way this read to me, and I might be completely misreading it, I read this as somebody that maybe he found her body. Or maybe he was having an affair with her and the suicide happened as a result of something he did or didn't do. Hmm. But not that he's the one that did it. That's fair. I feel like that's totally fair. 
On February 19th, this was recorded. 8.25 p.m. It's noted. Woman screamed. Woman screamed again. What? It should be noted the woman not heard before the time of screaming since 6.50 p.m. She was not in any conversation and not heard of again until the time of letting out these two screams. So that's weird. That is weird. How could you not hear her? What would she be doing? Why is she not screaming or talking or anything? Well, and again, how I kind of read this is that a woman was heard around 6.50, but then wasn't heard again until the screams. Right. But, like, dude, there's a woman screaming LAPD and you don't go see what this is about? Yeah, that's kind of messed up. That's some shady shit. That is super shady shit. And, like, there, there, there is zero notes about an officer being like, you know what, there's a woman screaming from a murder suspect. We should go check that out. Mm-hmm. That being said, he was known to perform abortions, and that's one of the theories about what we may have been hearing. Yeah. Also, it is very possible, like, George Hodel, I think, was 100% aware he was being bugged because he was warning people who were calling him. What? Really? Yeah. So that, again, that calls every single thing you hear him say on the phone to me into question because how much of this is him messing with investigators if he's aware that it's already bugged uh-huh. huh. and we don't know and that's what is maddening sure so in march of 1950 george Hodel leaves the country he goes to hawaii first he married a filipino woman and then moved to the philippines in 1953 He lived there until about 1990 when he relocated back to the U.S. in San Francisco, and he died in 1999. Um, He made regular trips back to the U.S., though. It wasn't like he he fled and then didn't return again until 1990. And Steve Hodel, his son, specifically looks at this as him fleeing the country, fearing he would be caught. Sure. Sure. That's possible. He was in Hawaii, though. He was in Hawaii for three years. That's not really fleeing the country. No. It's going to Hawaii. In 2003, Steve Hodel acquired a letter written by a police informant back in 1949. This police informant claimed the man whose initials were G.H. killed Black Dahlia, as well as another young woman named Lois Springer. Lois Springer was found strangled in 1949. Again, this could 100% point to George Hodel. Sure. Could also be another man with the same initials. It is really hard to say. Lots of options. It's interesting. It is compelling. It is circumstantial. Is it evidence? It's half evidence. I mean, <laughs> a full name would have been evidence. evidence. Initials or initials. Sure. Steve Case takes a turn to one that, that kind of actually lost him a lot of his supporters because he's looking into other cases. He, he's convinced his father killed a bunch of different women. And then he gets it in his head that his father is possibly the Zodiac killer. I'm sorry. What? Yeah. <laughs> I was excited to see a reaction to that. No. Yeah, he no. thinks maybe his dad was the Zodiac killer. I thought Ted Cruz was, was the Zodiac say, killer. I was going to say, is Ted Cruz the killer of uh, the Black Dahlia also? Ted Cruz is going to find Steve Hodel and fight him for the title of Zodiac killer. Jesus Christ. Um, I'm going to go one better, too. Oh, no. He suspected his father was responsible for the lipstick murders in Chicago in 1945 and 1946. 
Does he not have the internet? <laughs> you know what, though? I heard that George Hodel danced with the devil in the moonlight with Goody Proctor. <gasps> so. Dancing in the moonlight. That kind of dancing, too. Just like that. Uh, so ultimately, Steve Hotel has written, I think, like three books at this point, specifically about his father being the killer. Uh, they're called like the Black Dahlia Avenger because that's how the the uh, letters were signed. Sure. And it, I mean, it, at least the ones again about the Black Dahlia. His author page on Amazon had a bunch of other things he's written, but I think these are the three main ones. And full disclosure, I did not read all three books. I don't think you wanted to read all three. Books. I I looked at his blog. I looked at excerpts. I did not want to. You're right. I just <laughs> full on did not want to. I was like, I just, I, I just don't. You try to prioritize based on quality. I, I, this was not one. I'll, maybe I'll get there someday. You know, I love doing my due diligence. This, I felt like my energies were best put elsewhere. Uh, but again, feel free to go down this rabbit hole, read all of them, report back to us. We will be happy to listen. I don't want to. Please don't make me. <laughs> Um, and I mean, I, you know, uh, this is a little bit of a tough one for me. Cause like, you, you look at some of the evidence, it, I think it's a stretch. Sure. That's fair. I personally, and again, this is, this is Kim's personal scully. You don't have to agree with Kim's personal scully. You can sure. have your own scully or molder inside of your head that is making your brain do whatever it wants to do. Yeah. So, uh. I feel like Steve Hodel kind of falls into something a lot of people do, which is looking at cases like this and selectively picking the facts that they want to focus on to fit their narrative. And I am 100% open and agree that George Hodel was probably a horrible cesspool of a human being. Oh, it sounds like it. And I would even buy this is a guy who, if not full-on committed murder, was responsible for someone's death. Totally. I'd buy that. Yeah. He certainly assaulted a number of women. Sure. Most likely his daughter. Ugh. Do I think he killed Elizabeth Short? Personally, no, I don't. What do you think? I think he could have. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And if you're somebody who thinks that, I am not poo-pooing that at all. I think whoever did it. Uh Uh-huh. Did a really good job at keeping it mysterious. And That's a good way to put it. And making it not like like making it weird enough to be like overanalyzed, but not weird enough to have it be reported that way. Yes. Um yeah. and also just for the time. Like I, I I think for me what's really tough is that. Like, our brains are so programmed to know what goes on currently for, like, investigations versus what's happened during the time of a trial or not trial, but murder like this, you know, like, what blows my mind. What they had available. Yeah, what blows my mind, like, I didn't know about the hotel room that had blood and feces all (laughs) over it. Fecal matter? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I I feel like that was, like... 
how could someone not do something with that information after finding someone that was just chopped in half? Like that to me is like two plus two equals four. Very mm-hmm. obviously who stayed in that hotel room, get them into the police offices and like talk to them. But like there were so many missed opportunities that yeah. because there were so many missed opportunities, it just was not handled in the best possible way. Yeah. Um. But I would, I always like to think about this case and like what would have gone down if this happened today? Yeah. Like how would that have been dealt with today? I 100% think one, and I'm not alone in this. I, I actually read a number of articles talking about this case happening today and being like, oh, we absolutely would have solved this if it yeah. happened today. If for no other reason you look at how publicly the body was dropped and how many people have ring doorbells. Like, surveillance today is a whole other thing. Well, I think, too, like, what's really funny to me, and I know this is kind of messed up to say it's funny. No, But no, what's no. really funny to me is that what's-her-face who found her thought she was a mannequin and, okay. like, never did anything with it. And when it was reported, it wasn't even reported properly. Like, right yeah. off the bat, things were, like, a wreck. So it just, that blows my mind. Like, why wouldn't you just report it as what it was? Or just tell someone what it was. Like, I know you have codes and all that, but if you don't have code for something, tell someone what it is, you know? Well, I just think of, I, I there was a, a, God, it was probably more than a couple of months ago at this point. I remember here in Washington, in West Seattle, there was um, <gasps> the body that was chopped up in the luggage. Yeah, and someone and found, found it through TikTok. In West Seattle, and it was posted to TikTok. It was posted to TikTok first like that's how i heard about it somebody sent me the tiktok and this is before any like i don't think police had shown up or whatever there was a tiktok about a body being found in a suitcase it's wild it's wild this is the world we live in (laughs) which is i think why it blows our minds that like it's it was such an opposite experience when the Black Dahlia case happened. You know? It's, it's, and I, I will say because between, uh, between what we do for Ghoulish and, and with the TNT crimes I do, I really enjoy historical cases. Um, partially because I, I feel like less of an asshole if I make a wise crack about something. Fair. Uh, but, it's a it's a maddening thing because so often in some of these historical cases, you're like, this was so poorly handled. The crime scene was so poorly handled. If this crime had been committed today, this would have been a whole different bag of worms. But it was not. Mm-hmm. It was committed mm-hmm. in 1947. And, mm-hmm. and that's where I say, like, and I almost hate to say this because I think it bums people out. I don't think we will ever have an answer to who killed Elizabeth Short. I agree with you. I feel like if we don't have it by now, we're not going to. Like, the more time goes by, the harder it is. Exactly. I will say, because I have one more suspect we're going to look at. Oh, just kidding. I thought you were done. Never mind. Oh, girl, no. This one is interesting. This is Mm. one that was new to me. A man named Larry Harnish. He wrote a piece for the L.A. Times in 1997 to commemorate the 50th anniversary of Elizabeth Short's murder. 
Uh, and I, I use this in my research. You can find the source on our website with the rest of our sources. There's a lot for these two episodes. You're welcome. This investigation opened up a little bit of a door for him because he started doing his own deep dive on the case. Hmm. Researching. Interesting. Interviewing. Interviewing anyone he could get a hold of who was connected to this case. And initially, this is part of why I kind of have a hard on for this guy. Uh... <laughs> His intention was to find the facts. He was not looking to solve the case. He just wanted to try to find the most unbiased account of the evidence. Evidence. He could find. Like, honest to God, he's my new favorite, Scully. He is all about the evidence, and I love that so much. However, he didn't intend to find a suspect. He found one. Ooh. He interviewed well-known profiler John Douglas. John Douglas. We know John him. John Douglas. Our friend John. He's not my friend. I wish he was I my friend. I wish he was my right. friend. Uh, I've got like five books right within reach of his. He's a fascinating guy. Um, a profiler. For those of you who are not familiar with John Douglas, you can watch uh, Mindhunter. And uh, so he was interviewing John Douglas. John Douglas made a comment about how he didn't think that this, the Black Dahlia murder, was a serial killer. He suspected the murderer was someone connected to the neighborhood who was trying to make a statement, mm-hmm. a warning, mm-hmm. which is where our next suspect comes in. Because in his research, he finds that one of Elizabeth's sisters, Virginia, her marriage was witnessed by a woman named Barbara Lindgren, who lived on Norton Avenue. Norton Avenue, which is about a block away from where the murders took place. Interesting. Interesting. Barbara's father was a man named Walter Bailey, a retired surgeon. He also had offices a few blocks from the Biltmore Hotel, where Elizabeth was last seen. And he was known to perform hysterectomies and mastectomies. Oof. Now, Walter left his family in 1946 because of a relationship he was having with a female surgeon named Dr. Alexandra von Partyuka. Well done. Hashtag Kim definitely just butchered that. He died in 1948. His family and friends talked about how his behavior changed. Before he died. And an autopsy performed on him after his death showed he was suffering from a brain disorder that I can't begin to pronounce. Um, Encephalomolacia. Oh my God, I've never heard of that. It's because I probably didn't say it right. Oh. It basically, it's softening of brain tissue. That's what okay. it is. It's the softening of the brain tissue. It's, it's like dementia. A degeneration of the brain tissue, and it can lead to changes, massive changes in behavior, and it can lead to violent behavior. Shortly before he died, Walter changed his will to leave everything to Alexandra. He was still married to Ruth, his wife, at that point, so this legal battle happened. One of the things that came out during this legal battle over his estate is that Ruth accused Alexandra of having some sort of secret she was holding over Walter, which caused him to change his will and leave his family. Oh, shoot. 
could the secret have been murder? I mean, again, this could be a huge leap. That is a very, that's like a projection, basically. It's a projection, yeah. The secret could easily have been, again, that maybe he performed abortions or maybe he did something medically he shouldn't have done or he did. There's so many things he could have done he didn't want people finding out about that she could blackmail him about. Right. Or this is possibly his wife just being like, I'm going to try anything because I believe I should be entitled to his estate. I'm his wife. We don't know. And, and that's kind of the danger at looking a lot of these things now is, again, we can start to cherry pick the narrative. Right. However, Harnish did track Barbara, the daughter, down. Ooh. He wanted to ask her what she remembered about the family, her father, any possible connection. Barbara begged him to not tell anyone how he had found her. Again, why? We don't know. And this is what Harnish proposes. He believes that Elizabeth Short is dropped off at the Biltmore, which we knew, that she reaches out to the Baileys, knowing that they are a friend of her sister. And maybe Walter is the one that she ended up reaching. They spent some time together. Maybe she tried to seduce him. Or he put the moves on her and something went wrong and it triggered him to viciously murder her. Another one, this one is actually put forth by John Douglas, is that the facial wounds show that there was anger directed at the person who was murdered. Elizabeth Short had some, yeah, that's a pretty, like, that's, yeah, that tracks. Elizabeth Short would sometimes tell men she'd had a son who had died tragically. Walter Bailey actually did have a son who died tragically. Really hit a chord, maybe. When his son was 11 years old, he was hit by a car. Oh. His birthday was January 13th, two days before the body was found. Could she have told him this story? And him finding out it was a lie, it triggered some kind of violent breakdown. Again, it's possible. So many things are possible. We do not know. Right. That's a great story. It's a great story. It's very compelling. It has all the things we look at when we want a compelling story. But you know what it lacks, Gabby? Do you know what it lacks? Evidence. 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 Now, Harnish has been meticulously researching the case. He is writing a book. I desperately hope he publishes that book because I would love to compare what he's found with other claims. He he has a website. There's some really interesting. There's some really interesting information on that. He's given, he, he writes for a couple new, or no, I think he writes for one specific newspaper. He's got a, a, his writing is available for you to find. I find it fascinating. However, much like our other claims, there is not enough hard evidence to fully support his theory, which is too bad. These are not the only suspects. At this point, these are kind of the three who are most reliably looked at today as being the most likely. I I will say, too, like, I'm really hard on Steve Hodel. Uh, I came in with a little bit of bias to his beliefs because I am not a huge fan about how he presents his research, his case. He kind of comes across as maniacally obsessive. Sure. And it it can kind of border for me, border for me as being disrespectful to the victims. 
Well, it's a fine line, so I get it. It's a fine line. It's a fine line. And it's a hard line to walk. Like, it's a hard line. I find it to be a hard line to walk at times. So I I get it. But I, I, and I, and I can't say that this is not colored some of my view on his writings and his work. Sure. Of all the suspects, of all the evidence that we've had, is there anything that sticks out to you? Are there any that you lean towards more than others? What do you think? What are your thoughts? Tell me. Tell me everything. I don't lean toward anyone in particular, I think. I feel like I would want to know more about that hotel room, man. That's all I want to know. Like, whoever had a connection to that, that's who I think had something to do with it. But because we don't know, I'm not going to, like... Well, and again, that would be Leslie Dillon. It was... was, We don't know it was his room specifically, but that was where he was living at that point. But that's my point, is we don't know if it was his room specifically. So, like, that's an assumption. And there's a lot of assumptions behind all of the stories that you've just told. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to say what my mom has said to me growing up, which I've always hated, so I'm going to say it to you, is that when you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. (laughs) And so I'm not going to assume anything. And say that it sounds like there could have been a lot of potential people that could have been involved. I think the latter ones were more of a stretch. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was kind of a weird time. It was a very weird time. There was no sense of, like, ownership of anything. It was like the – I mean, generally speaking – Hollywood and, like, the entire realm of Los Angeles is always very, like, Wild West when you think about, like, rules. Like, it's like they don't apply to anyone in the film or movie industry or what have you. And, like, there's so much that goes. Well, especially not in this time specifically. Specifically in this time. time. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, too, like, a lot of people thought, well, if I have money, if I have power, I can Mm -hmm. do whatever I want. Absolutely. Um, I mean, again, there's there's – Things that were, that has not changed. In I was gonna capacity. say that's like yes, that during that time, yes, but also now, yes. I think that kind of yes. comes along with like any territory that you could describe that way. But specifically uh-huh. at that time, at that place, like people were kind of going wild. Um, Absolutely, and, and there wasn't a lot of accountability for crime. Um, yeah, and I think that you're also correct. you know inspires a lot of the hotel episode. Or a season of American Horror Story because there's a lot of that there too. It's just a matter of, you know, seeing the evidence. Mm-hmm. Evidence. Evidence. And like evaluating. I, I don't, I can honestly tell you, I don't know. I don't have enough evidence to be able to make a decision. I think that's kind of where I'm at. Well, and, and that's actually, honestly, that's where I am too. Uh, each person who's presenting their case presents a very compelling one, mm-hmm. but they're very much presenting a compelling case <coughs> to shape their own narrative and to fit their own narrative. Right. Uh, and, and, and it's the only reason why, again, I'm a little excited <coughs> for, for Harnish to finish his book is that he strikes me as somebody who thinks similarly to me. Right. And He's that, a scully. He's a scully, and I, I get excited by other scullies because I tend to trust other scullies a little bit more. That That's fair, though, because there's more questioning happening. Exactly. They're, they're, they are actively questioning everything they find. And even if they have a theory, they can acknowledge that there is not, like, I think this. I think my evidence supports it, but I can also acknowledge that there is not enough evidence for this to be a smoking gun. Yeah, for sure. 
I mean, and plus, I know that that would be one of the top things on li- book lists for you to read <laughs> with your list of books. Dude. I would that would go straight to the top. I'd just be like, I'd bypass. I'd just be. Like, I I I find his research so fascinating, and he's been talking about writing a book now. I feel like for twenty since he since he made this article. Uh, and there's been a, a lot of other books that have come out since then. So I'm I am very much hoping he he follows through and finishes or, or publishes this book because Maybe, I uh, think you should email him. I, you know what? I might I might do that, Gabby. I've, I've I've randomly emailed people in the past that served me well. I know that's why I'm suggesting it. Um, you know we're not quite done though. We've we're done oh, with suspects, suspects, but do you know what we still have? We've got some ghosts. Ghosts. I'm going to get in so much trouble for this one. Um, I know one of our listeners is going to bust my butt for sculling as much as I'm about Scully. <laughs> it's fine. I'll be here. I'll be your molder. you be my molder. Thank you. molder so that I can Scully happily and, and safely. Um, okay. Your friend, my best friend, the one, the only, Zach Baggins. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, he continue. has investigated this case because of course um he investigated the john soden house this is where dr george hodell lived from 1945 to 1950 it's like an event space now it's cool looking it's real cool looking Mm -hmm. baggins and his company went to investigate uh, I called shenanigans so quickly. Like I'm, I'm such an asshole. I'm such a. I honestly, I should have, I should have started recording the live feed of my reactions to watching this episode. Um, so it right from the get go, it sets up that George Hodel was the killer as fact. It of presents course. that as absolute fact. And to be fair, part of that is because Steve Hodel was on the episode. Oh, your friend. But it's not fact. It's not. It's not fact. You can think it's fact. You can believe something. You are absolutely entitled to believe whatever you want. That does not make it fact. No. Doesn't make a fact, Gabby. I feel like that kind of ruins the episode. Like, that kind of makes you... that That's the only thing that ruins the episode. I mean, there's... I'm sure there's more <laughs> things that ruin the episode. But, like, if you go... If you just did all this research... Yes. And clearly there is no actual fact of who killed her and then a show is presenting you with their evidence evidence but they're using a certain person as the person who did it Uh, to me that would make anything that they are providing not worth watching okay so so hodel's son steve he takes them into this house he recounts a story of his half sister tamar who Again, she is she is the one who who accused her father of, of sexually assaulting her. She came back to the house. It was abandoned at this point. She broke in. <laughs> and she says she saw an apparition. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Now, the family of Hodel, as we mentioned, they believe that many women were killed in this house. Maybe they were, though. Maybe it just wasn't maybe, the Black Dahlia. Maybe... They were. We don't know. But I mean, okay. Uh, I'm trying to not be an asshole. I'm sorry. Sometimes it's really hard for me. Um, there is a reason when you and I, as paranormal investigators, when we go on investigations, and I'm not talking about like verified haunted spots that we're going to see. I'm meaning like the private residences and, and businesses that we are called in to investigate. 
we are deliberately kept in the dark about what has been happening. Yeah. Because we are excruciatingly open to the power of suggestion as human beings. That is fact. That is fact. You cannot scully that. That's true. Throughout this episode, everyone is talking about their feelings, how they feel things. I'm feeling a presence. I'm feeling cold. I'm feeling afraid. I'm feeling creeped out. Valid. It is valid. I don't want to poo-poo on anyone's feelings. They are absolutely valid in your feelings. But what I am going to poo-poo on is that the feeling is not evidence. Evidence. For you, for an individual, it is absolutely, it could be evidence. It could be irrefutable fact for yourself. We cannot measure that. <laughs> Kim is so angry. I'm so angry. <laughs> this is, it's, it's, it's irresponsible. It's messy. This is not how you conduct yourself and you have a TV show. Sorry, I'm calming myself down. <clears throat> they bring in a medium. And at one point, she's going into the basement, and her microphone has interference, and they're like, ooh, what could it be? And I'm like, it could be that you're walking into a basement, and you're going into an old, dark space that, yeah, sometimes electronics don't work so well in a basement. So, yeah, sure, it could be a ghost. Again, I don't want to be a dick. It could be a ghost. Or just, like, a building. (laughs) Ghost (laughs) building. Who knows? <laughs> it's a mystery. There's a point where they catch the sound of like pots banging. And like, again, it could be. It does kind of sound like clanging pots. But I would also be curious to learn about what the pipe situation is in this old house. So clearly what you're saying to me is they just thought that every sound they heard was paranormal. Everything. I mean, if I had streaked through this buck naked as a human being, they would have been like, oh, that's a naked ghost. <laughs> And that would be perfect for Ross's show. I'm going to do that. (laughs) But fully, they didn't try to debunk any of the noises that they heard. No. And like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm not going to lie. There's one point they asked if the ghost of Odell was angry that they were in this house. And I yelled because I was angry that I was sitting through it. So they see a video and they're like, ooh, there's a light. It's an apparition. And I was like, or it's a light outside. Where lights come from. <laughs> oh, no. Now I need to watch this episode because I haven't seen this one. So mad. I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. I got so mad. I was such a dick. And again, to be fair, like other people have reported strange things there. Like other owners have reported apparitions, voices, sound of footsteps, heavy chains dragging. Um, I, I am not like trying to to say there is not a haunting. I'm just saying that the way it is being presented on this episode, it just it made my head hurt. And like. Ghost Adventures caught the sound on camera at one point, and they <laughs> they were like, "Ooh, it's an EVP," and um, that it's it's kind of unintelligible. I think it sounds like a sex moan. It was awesome. Uh, and then later, they have a sp- Gabby. They use the spirit box. Oh no, the spirit box. We don't like a spirit box. <sighs> and the spirit box goes, "It's George." And I'm like, "Is that because you just kept saying the word George over and over?" It's a spirit box. We know how Kim feels, everyone. Y'all. I can't. All right, so we're going to move on, Ghost Adventures, for my own sanity, if nothing else. (laughs) Although one of these days, dear dear readers, we will, um, maybe we'll put it up on our Patreon, um, Kim reacting to Ghost Adventures. Yeah, we should do that. 
maybe for our Halloween hang. Maybe for our Halloween thing. You Which can, is we will, our November Halloween hang. That's fine. It's fine. It's Again, we're spooky all year. It's Halloween yes. all the time. That's true. Um, there have been other spots associated with her that have been reported of, of having the ghost of the Black Dahlia. The Biltmore Hotel, which P.S., the Biltmore actually has a cocktail named after her, and I can't decide if that's extremely poor taste or delicious. Is that a pun? Taste? What? Taste. Poor taste? Oh. Oh. It wasn't meant to be, but there you go. Look at that. It is the last spot, however, that we can verify she was seen alive. It's a hotel. There are lots of spirits, you know, that live in hotels. There's apparently at the Biltmore specifically the ghost of a nurse, the ghost of a little girl. Um, one account I read talked about a boy with no face, which I want to find out more information on. I'm curious yeah, about this boy with no face. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Uh, her ghost is specifically seen on the 10th and 11th floor and in the lobby. I'd buy the lobby personally more than the 10th and 11th floor, but whatever. Her spirit is also seen at the hotel Figueroa. Oh, yeah. I know where that is. Cool. I said that correctly. I sometimes yeah, my notes it's and I'm like, did I? That's a street in downtown, or downtown Seattle. That's a street in downtown LA. Oh, well, she supposedly frequented this hotel a bunch. So I didn't find a whole lot of specific stories other than that her spirit's been spotted there. So I'm guessing, again, an apparition. Uh, I found reference to her haunting the Chancellor Apartments, which was another place she had lived at one point. But again, not many specifics. So I kind of feel like that this might be suffering a little bit from we, and again, we, we've talked about this before when there's been hauntings, like because there's a famous name associated with it, no matter what we assume that the spirit being seen has to be the famous name. And I'm like, apartment buildings, hotels, honestly, this could be thousands and thousands and thousands of people that were not the Black Dahlia. Right. It could be someone who just lived there that was not famous that we don't know about. Um, so this is Elizabeth Shorts, a.k.a. the Black Dahlia. Uh, as I've mentioned, there's a whole lot more to this case. There's there's more than we can cover in two episodes. I, I still sort of feel like I'm doing a disservice to all of the information in this case. Um, if you are interested, there's so much out there you can, you can do a deep dive on. This is a little starter for you. All I ask if you decide to do a deep dive is that you let yourself be open to the many sides of the case and that you try to look at the full picture of the evidence. Evidence. <gasps> evidence. Before deciding for yourself. That's very fair. Very fair. Well done, Kim Douthit. And that's a mic drop on Kimmy D. But don't actually drop your mic because that shit is expensive. It really is. <laughs> and this brings us to... Creepy Critics Corner! Kim, what you watching? I realize at the time of this being released, this will be kind of old news, but last night uh, I went and saw Halloween Kills in theaters because it just came out today as we're recording this. I have questions. Oh, no. (laughs) I have questions, Gabby. Oh, no. (laughs) They're not good questions. Oh, no. Um, I love the Halloween franchise. I love even the bad movies in the Halloween franchise. Yeah. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to leave that at that. All right. Uh, I, I don't really want to give spoilers, although, again, I realize by the time of this release, the movie will have been out for a few weeks. But 
to me, compared to the 2018 movie, it narratively didn't seem to know what it wanted to do. The script had a lot of issues. I, I still found it entertaining. It's Michael Myers. I'll watch it again. I'll watch it again and again. I like even the worst of the worst Michael Myers movies. But there is a big but. <sighs> Butts! I like big butts, and I cannot lie. <laughs> I I have questions. <laughs> uh, what I will recommend for Creepy Critic Corner, Willie's Wonderland. Oh, yes. We were talking about it. I watch Willie's Wonderland. My brother and I have a tradition every year during 100 Days of Horror. Well, we watch a movie at the same time. He lives in Portland, and I live in Seattle. And we watch the movie at the same time, and we text each other back and forth. It's like our own personal live tweet. Mm -hmm. Y'all, this is a Nick Cage movie. It is beautiful art. It is so funny. It is uh, basically Nick Cage. I'm going to call him Nick Cage. I don't even know if he ever has a name in this movie. He (laughs) busts his car. He has to, he can't afford the repairs, and so he's told if you can clean Willy's Wonderland overnight, we will, you know, we'll do the repairs for free or whatever. So he has to clean, and Willy's Wonderland is essentially like a Chuck E. Cheese, but then all of the animatronic creatures start to come to life and try to kill him. But in true brilliant Nick Cage fashion, he like doesn't blink when it happens. He just keeps like, he like defeats them and then goes about his way continuing to cleaning. Because this is a man who appreciates details. And he's dedicated. He's dedicated. Like the clean space. It was so delightful. It was so fracking delightful uh if you just want something off the wall silly and you're a nick cage fan like i'm a nick cage fan watch this movie i really want to watch it and i normally don't even watch this so like you got me to want to watch it it's so silly and so much fun on what you've been watching on the to-do list definitely i've been watching a couple different things i've I haven't had a ton of time to watch things because wedding. Why could that be, Gabby? Because we are recording this very early because I have a wedding. That at this point in time that this is coming out, I will be married. That's weird. Um, But anyway, uh, I've been watching some stupid shows, as I usually do, to balance my brain, um, one of which is Sexy Beasts, which is has a new season. <laughs> I know I told you about it already, Sexy but it's the beasts. one where uh, people get all done up in these, like, crazy animal or monster costumes and are forced to go on, like, speed dates. Yes. And it is a good time. It's kind of heartwarming sometimes, but then you just okay. hear some wild stuff and you're just like, wow, is this what dating is like now? <laughs> um, but God help me. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I think I would pay money to see you be on this show and put into a bunch of makeup and just, like, be, I don't know, like a tiger or something that's just tearing I am a tiger. But it would be very fun. Um, I dedicate, or I nominate you to be on this show. I think it'd be very funny. I think you would get a kick out of it. Listeners, if you would like to start a writing campaign to get me on this show, go nuts. Let's do it, everybody. We'll do it together. (laughs) Um, But I also was super excited to watch uh, the Muppets Haunted oh, Mansion. Yes, 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 yes. Because I love the Muppets, specifically the Swedish Chef, and I really love the Haunted Mansion. So you want to put my two things, two favorite things together into one thing? I am a happy camper. Um, Boom! Did you get a chance to watch it yet? Oh, 
No, I haven't had. I've had no time. Okay, well, you <laughs> and should. I can't count it for hundred days because it's only like an hour. It's like right? a, so it's, it's a, not even an hour long. It's like yeah, a special. It's a special, and I can't. I can only count movies. Well, it's so great, and there's a lot of like nods to adult dark humor in it mm. that kids wouldn't catch, but it's definitely like a kid friendly thing to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I know our friend Bob watched it, and he really, really loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I adored it. There there were some really funny moments but my favorite part for those of you who have watched it or haven't yet watched it it replicates the haunted mansion ride through the entire like the entire process of the ride as um gonzo uh and shoot pepe i think his name is pepe he's He's not a shrimp. (laughs) I forget what he is, but he's not a shrimp because he always gets mad when people call him shrimps. Um, But they go through the process of the ride, basically. And all of the characters within the ride are actually Muppets. And that's what makes it so great. Um, You mean the King Prom? Prom? Yeah, he's a King Prawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pepe the King Prawn. That's it. Yeah, no, you're right. Sorry. No, no, you're right. I was I was wrong. He's not a shrimp. Um, he's not a shrimp. He's Gabby. not a shrimp. He gets so angry when people call him a shrimp. But my favorite part in the entire thing is the scene where in the very beginning where like you know you go into the elevator of the haunted mansion and the room mm-hmm. starts stretching and then there's a scream at the very end and you see like something hanging above you. Um something. Something. They didn't show it in the Muppets, but you know what it's there. But the scream was a freaking goat. And it killed me. It was just a goat screaming. And then it (laughs) did it like three more times. And Pepe was so pissed at the goat. And like that was my favorite part of the entire thing. Damn it, Pepe. It's not a spoiler. It's not. And if you haven't watched it yet, that's your own fault. Because by the time this comes out, it's after Halloween. So your own fault. Can't get mad at yourself. Your own fault. Um, But I did watch that. It was wonderful. Highly recommend. And I also watched, for the first time, I haven't seen it. uh, I've been having words i've had this on my list for a very long time i know i actually watched it because you watched it recently it was extraordinary yes oh it was Um, cute will forte is one of my favorite people and he is so great in this movie and it's just a very weird movie but also heartwarming and not spooky but it's like intended to be kind of but it's not it's it's if you're somebody who god knows why you're listening to this and afraid of things but like it's tame it's 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 not a gore fest it's tame it's meant to be more of kind of silly and almost a rom-com yeah but comedic like very 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 comedic um dark dark humor i'd say there's a lot of dark humor in it but that was fantastic so um yeah, really loved that. So I have a nice little balance of Halloween spooky stuff, something funny hey. here and there, and then just stupid humor because that's my wheelhouse. Um, but yeah, that's what I've been watching. And um, nice. I hope you guys all had a really wonderful Halloween yes. and did something fun. Kim and I will be doing something fun together soon um, for Halloween. And we also got to go to a pumpkin patch recently, which we was did. very fun. We did. It was fun. really nice. I yes. may not have found a pumpkin, but I found some apple cider You donuts. found the treats. That's what you found. I found, found the treats. They were so Although good. I didn't get a little rubber ducky. I did kind of miss not getting a rubber I'm ducky. I'm sorry. We didn't, we'll get you a ducky next time. I do like the double duckies. But thank you guys for listening. If you want to check out anything on our show notes, our Uh, Instagram, any kind of social media we have, you want to see our research, go over to our website. It is ghoulishtendencies.com. 
All of our social medias are some form of Ghoulish Tendencies podcast. <laughs> and uh, you can also find us on Patreon as well as Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to give us a review, we are very grateful. And having said that, thank you for listening. Thank you. And stay spooky. Stay spooky.